Welcome everybody. We're so glad to have you here with us. If we've not met yet, my name is JP and I would love an opportunity to meet you um, after the service and say hello. Uh, we're so glad that you're with us this morning. And I want to give you a little uh, insight into what kind of our, uh, our season has been like with me and my wife and our family. So um, I'd mentioned that we came down here, for those of you who uh, don't know us yet, we came down here uh, February of 2018 and rented a home in Poway for about a year uh, and enjoyed that. And it was great to be able to, to kind of land in a place. And then we, wanted, we knew we wanted to own a place. We knew we wanted to live somewhere, to, to own some uh, property and to make that investment. And so in April of this past year, we were able to uh, move into a home that we purchased in Escondido. And so we're very excited about that. Um, and it's one of those, we moved in April 5th, today is November 24th, and the reason I bring up the dates is that, um, you know, one of the things when you're just renting somewhere, what, what, what do we know can happen? If you're renting somewhere and something happens, you know, we had on my birthday, 2018, my first birthday down here, um, it was a nice, cool, crisp 112 degrees and our air conditioning broke. And so it was 92 degrees inside of our home. And so we were able to call the landlord, and guess what? The landlord was gracious. She, she, they made sure that someone was able to come that day, and um, they took care of everything. When you're renting, uh, you can call somebody else in order to help with things. When you're owning, you just get to call yourself. And so um, I want to share from no April 5th when we moved in to November 24th today, uh, just a few of the things that we as homeowners um, have had to spend money on fixing over the past seven months. <clears throat> it's not a comprehensive list, I fear. Uh, so first we had to have our air conditioning unit. It just follows us. I don't know the problems there. Air conditioning unit. We had to get a new water heater. We had a water leak that happened beneath our kitchen sink in the summer that lasted 10 weeks in order to make it happen or to make it fixed. Um, two weeks after that was completed, we had a water leak in our kitchen ceiling. And so that was fun because we had redid the lights, um, redone the lights and right outside of the lights were here. Right here is where the leak happened, and so we just missed it, and there was mold, which is so fun. Um, and then we had, um, sorry, we had the, two, the leak that came from the ceiling, lasted two more weeks. Uh, shortly after that, we had our garage door motor, not the opener, like the clicker, but like the, the chain that opens it up for you. The motor was out of code, and so we had to get that replaced. And then just yesterday, we had a leak fixed um, on our roof because of all the crazy rain we had. And so uh, you do all that together, and you just add like a partridge in a pear tree, and we are in the season. Like, we are feeling Christmassy. Um, but we look at these things and we're like, part of ownership, right? Part of owning something is this idea that there will be an investment, there will be a cost, there will be things that we have to give towards that ownership. And we're going to dive into this idea of giving this morning. And if you're a guest with us, um, and maybe some of you who don't know the Lord yet, or you're just on your journey we welcome you. We honor you. We are thankful that you are here with us. You may fear and hear, well, we always hear talk, you know, pastors always talk about money. People can attest here that we don't always talk about money in our sermons. You know what we do always talk about? We talk about every single week the honor that it is to be able to worship God through giving. But we don't always have these sermons that are just about, about finances. But we are doing that today. You know why? Because we're in a series called Own the Vision, and it's this idea if we really are to own the vision of what God's kingdom looks like for our lives and for those around us, 
for our city, for our schools, for our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our nation, our world, if we're to take hold of that vision and not just be renters and say, hey, there's a need, hey, can you fix that, can you help that, and call somebody else to take hold of it or take ownership of it, but if we are to own something, that means that there is a cost, that there is a thing that we must give towards it, and that there is something that we need to make sure that we focus on in order to own it, cost-giving investment are part of ownership. And so as we look at whether it's you're owning your own business, whether it's you're owning your grades when you're in school and saying, I'm going to make sure I do my best, whether it's owning uh, the spiritual direction and leadership of your household, whether it's owning your own health, whether it's owning, whether that's physical health or mental health or spiritual health, when you own something, there is a cost to it. And we can either forget that there's a cost, wait for someone else to take the cost. But if we want to own the vision of God's kingdom in our lives, we recognize that there is something that we must give. And yes, that includes finances. But as we'll see in our passage, it's not just about finances, but we must own it. There's an investment we need to put forth. So in your notes, if you're a note taker, we have notes inside the bulletins. And the main point this morning is this, that when we take ownership of something, We work diligently for it and give generously towards it. And then the question that will be, the question that is the the focus of this sermon, this series, and honestly, truly, of your life. Have you owned the vision of God's kingdom in your life yet? You know why I say yet? Because I'm hopeful and I know that each and every one of you are here for a reason this morning. So have you owned the vision of God's kingdom in your life yet? And with that said, will you join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person that is in this room and each person that is listening online later. Lord, whether this is their first time, whether they've been here for years, God, I pray that as I say the words we're talking about giving or I mention the words finances or money, Lord, I pray against the enemy who would love to allow that to just be something where people tune out and say, I'm not listening to a preacher talk about money. God, may we know, may I know, may everyone here know this message is not about money. God, this message is about our hearts. This message is about your kingdom. This message is about the vision of your kingdom and whether or not we will own it to the degree that we'll be willing to sacrifice for it. So God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. And it's your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You know, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 4. If you brought your Bible with you, that's Exodus 35, starting in verse 4. If you did not bring a Bible with you, maybe you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat pocket, or sorry, the seat rack in front of you. You're welcome to use that. In fact, if you don't have a Bible, that would be our gift to you today. There's probably very few gifts I could give you that would be more valuable than that. But with that said, in the church Bible, we're going to be on page 142. As we read our passage. Now I'm talking about to share my story in the beginning is talking about owning a home, right? To own a place to live. Well, there's a section in the Bible that we're going to be looking at in Exodus in which God is talking about and telling his people about he wants to have a place where he could live among his people. That he's giving the instructions. We have, you know, I can't give a whole overview of Exodus, but once they get out of 
the crossing of the Red Sea into the wilderness. We see Mount Sinai in chapter 19 where they see God shaking the mountain. It's incredible. Verse, or chapter 20 is when the Ten Commandments come. Moses ends up going up and then there's several chapters in which Moses is with God on the mountain and he, God is just giving him detailed instructions as to how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle being the dwelling place, the place where God would reside and dwell and live among his people. And that was the vision that Moses is sharing in this section, that he starts finding out all the, the, um, the needs. Then there's the moment of the golden calf, and then they have to, he throws down the stone tablets. He gets new stone tablets in Exodus 34. Then Moses, they see, the people see that when Moses is with God, that his face has the radiant glory of spending time with him. That, then they see tangible proof not only of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that is leading them through the wilderness, but they see tangible proof that if someone is face-to-face -face and is in the presence of God, how their lives are changed. And then they hear these words that God wants to dwell and have his presence among us. That this is a beautiful call to them to say, okay, this is a vision that I want to be a part of, of making sure that the almighty God would come down in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire to rest and to be present and to dwell and to tabernacle amongst his people. And so what happens here as we jump into the passage is that Moses is now... Everyone's settled, all the people are together, they see his face is radiant, and they want to hear more, and this is what he talks to them about. He tells them what's going to be needed in order to create this vision, to see it fulfilled, to be able to have God's presence among his people. And so what we see here is that the call we're going to see in the first verse is that it's to the entire community, but not everybody responded. So in your notes, we're going to take a few moments together this morning to be able to look at who responded to the vision. What are some, some traits in your notes that show maybe some things about who responded, what that looks like, and how maybe we can learn about or learn from them so that we too can respond to what God's, God's vision of his kingdom in our lives. So with that said, let's start in Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. From everyone who is willing to bring, or sorry, everyone who is willing to, is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. Let's stop there just for a moment. We're going to hear these words willing. We're going to talk about, the, we're going to hear it a lot today. We're going to also hear this, these words about what it means to, to respond to God's calling. So in your notes, I want you to write this down. Those who responded to the words of Moses, what he's about to say, are people who are truly inspired, not just motivated. They were truly inspired, not just motivated. Let's take a few moments as we continue on at verse 21 to see what that means. Sorry, verse 5. I apologize. I'm jumping ahead. Um. So verse Exodus 35, 4 through 9, say, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing to bring to the, is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate, the breastpiece. Now, 
That's just verses 4 through 9. But if you were to continue on 10 through 19, you would see another exhaustive list of all the different things that were needed to be provided in order to make the tabernacle built, in order to create it, in order to make it, in order to make sure it stands up, all the different instruments that were needed. And so we see a lot here in which the call, as verse 4 says, is to the whole Israelite community. But if you're willing Here's what we need. So as we look, the first thing, we're going to jump down to verse 20 and 21, is how was it that we know they were inspired and not just motivated? Let's read together. Verse 20 and 21 say this. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. Again, everybody's included in that. And then here, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tents of meeting or the tabernacle for all its service and for all the sacred garments. Now let's take a few moments to look at some word pictures here in verse 21. Verse 21, when it says everyone who was willing. Now in the, in the Hebrew, it doesn't just say everyone who, it doesn't say who was willing in that regard. What it says is everyone whose heart had been stirred. What does that mean? In our culture, when we say, hey, follow your heart, what does that usually mean? It usually means something along the lines of, you know, Follow what you're feeling right now and, and follow just what, what feels good. Follow your heart. And it's very centered on emotions, which as we know, are very real, but they can change as often as the tide turns. They can change all the time. In the Hebrew, the reason they use the they translated it willing inside the NIV is because the heart labab is the word in Hebrew. This is not just meaning our feelings. This is saying this is considered the very seat of our will. It's a very consciousness of our being. It is the center of who we are. And so what it's saying is, is that if you have made a conscious decision with your will, regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of how your day or your week or your month or your year has been, regardless of the things, if we decide with our will to follow God, then this is the verbiage we see here where it's willing. See, in, the, in our NIV, it makes it sound like, oh, if you're open to it. No, 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 no. The Hebrew says, if your heart has been stirred, if your will has been lifted up to the point where we say, it doesn't matter what else I face, come what may, God is so real. I've seen the, his presence amongst our people. I've seen this. And these people would say, I've seen God show up. No matter what happens, I am making a decision of my will to be so stirred up that I will do what he calls me to do, that I will give in the way he calls me to live, give, and I will live in the way he calls me to live. Now, the next part here, this is going to be a little confusing, right? Because then if you look at verse 21 in the NIV, then it says, and for all whose heart has been moved. So you're saying, okay, they needed to change it because in our context, heart would mean emotion and they want to drive a conscious choice of the will. But in the reason they write heart here is because this is about our emotion. It could be this idea of the spirit is what the word is actually translated in the Hebrew is your spirit has been moved. Now we've had a conscious decision of the will with our minds, but now our hearts have been stirred and churned and moved to think about what would it be like if we actually got to see God's presence among us as we navigate the wilderness. And so because we've chosen that, they're able to say, no, conscious will choice, my emotions are stirred up, my passion's excited, 
I'm going to give a free will offering to own the vision of God being present among his people, to dwell amongst us. Now, I want to take a few moments. Craig Rochelle is a pastor of Life Church uh, in Oklahoma. There's campuses across the nation. Incredible church. In fact, if any of you are using the Bible app, the Bible app was birthed as a ministry outside of their church. And so it's an incredible ministry. They have an incredible heart for the kingdom of God. And he has a leadership podcast that I listen to often. And he makes this distinction, because again, what's our point? The idea of not just motivated, but truly inspired. And so what they talk about here is, he says this, motivation and inspiration are both important, but they're also very different. It's not that one is bad and one is good, it's they're important, but one is, but they're also very different. He says this, motivation often feels like someone is pushing you. It's this idea of saying, Okay, no, we got to do this, and we got to do this, and let me show you this. Motivation is what a lot of advertisement agencies will try to do in order to make us feel like we are missing on the latest and greatest. So you need to have this. You need to have this. And like, what do we say are people that are salespeople that are a little too strong, that they're a little pushy? And so you just say, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you to do this. And so to me, it's like the, the person in the kiosk in the mall that just tries to keep telling you to like, like trying to sell me like women's lotion products. I'm like, <laughs> unnecessary. And so you just keep walking by, but then you also have like, it's the practical, it's the physical trainer who's like saying, lift more, do more, do this, do that, don't give up. It's the coach who, who grabs a face mask and says, you can do this and push harder and don't give up. It's a, someone in the military, like a drill sergeant who's trying to push you to do greater things. For me, it's the dentist who, when I was younger, and said, you have to floss. I'm like, okay. And so I was scared. But it's this idea of someone who pushes us. And Craig Rochelle, it's not in the quotation, but what he says about motivation is that it is often what happens when someone is trying to push you to do something that you would not normally want to do. And so it's this kind of a push. It's like, you got to do that. Let me be clear. My job this morning, we're talking about money, right? We're talking about giving. That it could be easy to feel like, oh, you know what? He's going to push this on me. He's going to push that you have to give. You have to do that. Listen, it's not my job to push God's word upon you. My job is to be able to speak God's word and not to just say things that will tickle your ears, but to convict our hearts. Our jo my job is to be able to point us to the word even when it's uncomfortable, because those are often the areas that they're uncomfortable, or the areas in which we need his word the most. And so we look at this idea of, I'm not trying to push you here. And in fact, those of you who've been with us for a while, uh, those of you who are new with us, like, wow, his voice is so raspy. How amazing. Those of you who've been with us recognize my voice isn't very strong right now. And I was sick this past week. It's a very humbling experience and a very... Uh, prayer-inducing experience to be a pastor without a voice on like Thursday. You're like, oh Lord, Sunday's coming. And, um, but it's this idea of, I'm like, oh, I was praying this morning or yesterday, I forget when, but I was like, oh, I, you know, God, it's like, I, it's kind of hard that my voice isn't good. And you know what I felt the Lord kind of just encouraging me with? As I've, I've already written my notes, right? And he's like, because it's not your job to push them with your vocal cords or with your oratory skill or lack thereof. It's not about motivation pushing us to do something we don't want to do. You know why? Because that implies that we don't want to give. And some of us, that may be true. Don't raise your hands. But it is true. If we're honest, there are times we say, we don't want to give. We got other things. But it's important for us to land on this point. 
that I'm not trying to motivate you and push you to do something you don't want to do. Instead, I'm hoping God will inspire you. Why? Because as Craig Rochelle continues on, this is what he says, that the word inspire comes from the words in spirit. Remember how we said that in the Hebrew and verse 21, that the spirit had been stirred and moved? It's in spirit. He continues, it implies something that is internal. Motivation generally feels like pushing. Inspiring is more of a pulling of the good that's already inside you. That I don't, I can push you and say, hey, we need to do this and we need to do that. Or I could say, hey, guess what? If we do this and that, think about the lives that would be changed. Think about the fact that you now, if you've given your life to the Lord, you know the peace and the security of salvation. You know that we don't know when our time will come, but when we do, we know where we're going. We have a hope and a peace that surpasses all understanding. And when we have those things, we could look at that and say, I'm so thankful we have those things. Or we can say, I'm so thankful we have those things that I want to make sure others have it as well. I'm pulling out what has already been inside of you, that God is inspiring and can say in our spirit, we can be so moved and so stirred by the power of God's kingdom in our lives to take those who are far from God and to fix a wretch like me, to make me new in Christ, to make sure that I'm now drawn near to God so we can become fully devoted followers of God and that that's the same process he wants to do with each and every person we know. That there is not a person you are going to see this week or you're going to lock eyes with that has not been created by God, saved by the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't want to be able to draw closer to the Father. And we could do things where we are not just saying, you have to give. But instead we could say, hey, if you give, we will have more Roommates and brothers and sisters and friends in heaven because of the impact that can happen. That more people can experience the joy and the hope and the peace that you have now. And that can pull an inspiration out of us rather than feel like someone standing on the stage with a mic is trying to push something upon us. We see here, Steve Jobs says it this way. If you are working on something you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. The vision of God's kingdom pulls you. And guess what? In in Exodus, when the vision that was happening was that God would dwell among his people, that the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire would represent his presence, and that the tabernacle would be the tent of meeting, where sins would be paid for, where offerings would be given, where people would be able to be made right before God. That same vision of God wanting to dwell amongst his people, where sins would be paid for, and to be able to make sure that we're able to have right relationship with God, is what the same vision you and I are living for and owning for. Because Jesus did that. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death and was raised to new life. And his presence is amongst us. In fact, in John 1, 14, it talks about how the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. You know what that word is? He tabernacled among us. He dwelt and he was here and it points it back to the importance of recognizing that God is Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And if there's ever a season in which that becomes real to us, it is a season of Christmas that then we start to see that God is real and he wants to dwell among his people. And that same vision is a vision that you and I can own and give towards right now. 
so that he would dwell amongst us and that people around us would have his spirit dwell within them as well. So we continue on. The second point is this idea that those who responded, it's not just that they were inspired, not just motivated, but they responded, those who responded realized that giving included offerings, but it also included using their skills for God. It included offerings, but also included using their skills for God. Let's read verses 22 through 29 of Exodus 35. All who were willing, there's that word again, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord, and everyone who had acacia wood for it, and, and, or sorry, for any part of the work brought it. Again, those few verses talk about the offerings, the physical investment people made by giving of things that were important to them, that we have the opportunity to give that which is precious to us to he who is most precious. But then here's where we see that it's not just about that. It is about giving, but giving is more. It says this, verse 26, every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And the, is, all the Israelite men and women who were willing, there's that word again, brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. So it's a combination of gifts financial, those that, that which is costly, but also recognize that the vision was so compelling for these people that they gave not only their treasures, but also their time and their talents, their skills as well to see the vision fulfilled. And so there are skills within this room that we have no idea about. There are things that you've always been able to do that not everybody is able to do. And maybe you, we, we talked before about how we've been created in an image of a giver God, a God who is given generously. How do we know that? Because he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so we're made in the image of a giver God. If we have a God who is such a giver, then we should not be misers. We should be those who give as well. But here's the thing. We are also created in the image of a creator God. There are people who say, I'm not creative. I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, I can't paint, I can't write poetry. And you say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not creative. Truly, that is not, that's a lie. That is not true. Because we're all created in the image of a creator. Maybe you say, you know, I am really good at building things with my hands. Call me because I always need help. Maybe there are things in which you say, I'm not creative, but you know, I'm really good at creating like you know, putting together really good Excel documents. Call me because I need help. And so, you know, we look at these things where there are different areas of creativity. All of you are creative. It may not be in the way the world deems it so, but it's true. And so if we could combine the idea that we're made in the image of a giver God who gave generously, and that we are created in the image of a creator God and we decide to work diligently, 
Then between the two of those, we're able to take ownership of this vision. In our church, God may be bringing the right people at the right time to do an amazing thing, and it may be financial, and it also may be through our gifts and our skills, but we will not know until we know what those gifts and skills are. And so for us to be able to think, okay, it's not just about the money. Giving is more than just finances. It includes it. I'm not negating it, but it also includes our time, our talents, our skills, our abilities. It's when we combine the two of those together that we can see our role in fulfilling and owning the vision God has for his kingdom in our lives. So with that said, inside your bulletin as you came in, uh, you would have seen a... um, a little handout that talked about our Gifts for Jesus project. If you're new with us, Gift for Jesus is something that we have the opportunity to do at the end of each year in order to be able to give a, an offering over and above, a free will offering like we're reading about here, over and above our tithe in order to minister or to give to something, whether it's global, which has often been a global missionary partner we work with, or in this case, for this year, something local, that's something that is down the street at uh, Community Food Connection on Twin Peaks here in Poway. That if you were here with us this past uh, Sunday night, we had our Thanksgiving event where Pastor Todd Corrigan came and he shared, um, he works at Trinity San Diego, which is where this is located, and he was able to share about the history of the ministry. And you see here on, the, on your notes here some of the needs that are there, some areas in which there can be ways that are kind of basic idea of what the ministry's been doing, that for 12 years they've been starting off with 100 families, and since then they've gotten over to 1,400 families that they are feeding, that they are providing food for on a weekly basis. We've had students who went and helped out there this past week, or sorry, two weeks ago. So we heard from Lucy Wilkinson at Thanks Serving, and then we're able to recognize that there are great ways not only to give, and if we go to the, the next point where it talks about um, the different ways that our financial needs would really help them. The idea of helping out to level the building or to work on the roofing, to make sure that they have the cost to continue to expand their monthly um, costs and their monthly expenditures in order to be able to see how is it that we can continue to resource a ministry that is blessing people in our city. That We heard that from um, a video last week that in San Diego County, there are 500,000 people who are food insecure, which means they don't know where the next meal is coming or they don't know where the week's meals are coming. And so this is something that isn't just for down south over, you know, 40 miles down the road. This is for something that is for four minutes down the road, too. That there are people from all these cities, including Poway, that come to the Community Food Connection and get food, and we can help out. And then if you can leave it on this one as well, this idea that, again, it's not just the financial offerings. It's also the skills or the time to be able to volunteer as a driver, as someone who hands out food, something that this doesn't have to be a gift for Jesus that we give the money to, at the end, and then we give it to them, and then we never see or know what's going on next. We could drive down the street and see what's happening, and even more so, we can serve consistently and find ways to continue to bless a ministry that is local to our city and doing great things for the kingdom of God. And I shared a story that I had heard about uh, someone who was a recipient years ago of the food boxes, and he was a recipient of it, and through going there and through receiving the food, he got to a point where he was able to, um, you know, realize that he needed 
Not just the physical food, but, but needed a relationship with God. There was a gap there. There's a hunger that even a box of Cheerios cannot sustain. That we recognize there's this hunger, this bread from heaven that we need in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this gentleman who was a guest of the ministry gave his life to the Lord, started attending the church, and then ended up being someone who's now serving in the ministry. And that's just it a glimpse of the stories of life change that can happen when we're able to give, yes, our offering, but also our skills for the glory of God. We continue on. Those who responded, they didn't ask, how much must I give? They asked, how much can I give? Exodus 36, 2 through 7. We're going to skip a section where uh, the, the, the end of 35, we'll jump to verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab, who are the two that are talked about in that earlier section, if you want to read it. Um, they're the ones that like the project managers, the skilled, men, the skilled craftsmen that were working there. He summoned them and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing. And said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent the word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Could you imagine? Could you imagine this scene? Me coming up here and saying, you know what? You all have been so faithful and so generous. Stop giving us stuff. We don't need it anymore. That in our culture in which we see more is always better and bigger and faster and stronger and we emphasize the more, we would say there are times in which, hey, more is good. So if we have the, the, the amount that's needed, let's just give, keep giving more. And that's beautiful and that is awesome. But what we see here in this passage is that there are times in which a specific project only needs a specific thing, right? And so once that limit or once that standard has been met, we don't need to keep giving. So I picture a woman who is giving her, or sorry, working on the, the ram skins. And I picture a woman who's trying to sew the blue and scarlet and purple yarn. And, and they're looking and morning after morning, people are still bringing stuff. And they're like, we don't need all this. And in fact, it's piling up so much, we can't even do the work we're supposed to do. Moses, can you ask them to stop? And they gave so much in order to do what God had called them to do. In fact, Think about this. Morning after morning, there were more gifts. It, it almost paints the picture that instead of holding on to everything, someone would, would go to their, their tent and go to their home. Okay, you know, like, listen, uh, I know we've been holding on to, to this, you know, ram skin or, or to these onyx stones, but, you know, it's precious to us, but part of owning something is giving that which is most precious to us to he who is most precious to us. And so let's, let's give it to the, to the Lord tomorrow morning. And then it's almost like looking back and say, okay, you know, we did that, but now we got to be able to make sure, oh, they, they, I heard that we have an opportunity to say, I can still give this, I can still give that. And it's not a how much must I give in which motivation and pushing is something we don't want to do. It's a how much can I give because I've been so inspired about the vision of, God's, of God dwelling amongst his people. I will give anything to that because he's most precious to me. And morning after morning, more things came. And I love in verse 6, another word picture for you, the idea that they were restrained from giving more. 
that, again, if motivation and pushing is the idea, then it's more the idea of like, you know, we want to refrain from giving. Like it's only when there's a need we'll give. But if we do that, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it. And, and then I'll give. It's not how much must I give. It's almost, hey, when it comes to giving to God, it's not what is the bare minimum that I have to do in order to make him not mad at me. It's not the idea where he says, what's the, if C's get degrees and we have this idea of just doing the bare, bare minimum, what's the least I can give? What, how much must I give in order to make sure he doesn't whack them on me tomorrow morning when I walk out the door? No, it's, this vision is so compelling. God dwelling amongst his people, lives being changed, being face to face with God and seeing his glory radiate through us so that no matter what's going on, we can still be seen as people who have a faith and a life with God. And people say something's different about you. What is it? It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We're not refraining from giving. Instead, they had to be restrained from giving. And this is the idea of the, the word picture I want to paint to you is that, do you know when this is used in the Bible? Of course you don't. It's my job to figure it out, and I'll tell you now. It's fun. Um, Genesis chapter 8, verse 2, talks about how after the flood that had been raining and raining and raining, that God restrained the waters into the heavens. That same word of how strong it was to restrain the waters and to stop a flood that had been a constant deluge for so long, that's the same word picture that, that the people had to do in order to be restrained from giving more to God's vision. They had to be held back in the same way that the water had been held into the sky and not fallen upon the earth. They were restrained so much. And I want to make sure that we hit this point, though. This is important for us. There are people in this room that you say, I would love to give. The problem is I don't have that much. You, you know, I, I, I want to be able to give to the church, and I want to be able to tithe. I want to be able to give an offering, but, you know, I don't have a lot right now. And I want to encourage you. My previous senior pastor where I worked at, he would say this idea of giving is not about equal amount. It's about equal sacrifice in our hearts. The reason we could paint this picture is from Mark chapter 12 with the widow's offering where there was the rich people, the rich men who would bring a ton of gold and silver and would bring it in there and it was this huge offering. And in the back, you would see the women who dropped in the last two mites that she had. And Jesus said, she's the one that gave more. Because it's not about the physical amounts that each person is giving where you could compare one another. Again, I don't know what you guys give. I don't see your giving sheets. I don't know whether you give a ton or zero. I don't know that. But God is able to say, okay, are you able to just give whatever you're able to give? Because God sees that money is this idea of where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It's a, it's, a, it's a discipleship issue when it comes to our giving. It's an obedience issue. It's a heart issue. And so if it's about equal, num like the actual amount being equal, then someone who makes a lot of money and only gives once a year, and it's a pretty substantial amount, but not a full 10% of what they make, would think, oh, I'm good with God in regards to giving. I'm not going to get whack-a-mold on the way out tomorrow. But God shows us in the story of, that Jesus talks about the widow's offering. It's like, if there's someone who is giving what they have, it's equal sacrifice. How much is it sacrifice to give? An equal heart. 
That's someone who makes minimum wage but gives consistently, proactively, obediently, and cheerfully. Jesus says, look, that person's giving more. It's not about the dollar amount. It's about the amount that God has changed our hearts. So let's, let's close here with the last couple sections here. This idea of we've heard who, who those who responded, who responded to the vision. We list those things out. What's our response to the vision? Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, commanding them, them, the antecedent to them in this case is those who are rich. Let me congratulate you. All of us are rich. This is in comparison to the entire world. We may look, I'm not as rich as that person or that person. Considering there are people across the world that billions of people don't have water and live on one or two dollars a day, congratulations, we are all the rich. And we may not feel that way, but it is true. We need to address truth. So this is what Paul says. Command those who are rich. Command them. That's what this says here. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will, what do we say? Willing again? There's that word. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. How do we respond? Let's be generous. Let's be willing to share. Let's recognize that we are building a foundation upon the one foundation of Jesus Christ, but we can build upon that because all other foundations are sinking sand. And in the bottom of your notes, there's a couple points I want to hit on as we close. The first one is that building the tabernacle, building the tabernacle reveals that one level of giving is to react generously when there's a need. That is absolutely a great way to give. Worship at the tabernacle reveals that another level is to be proactive in giving so more needs can be met. Let's unpack that for a moment here. Because in building the tabernacle, what does it say? We saw this in Exodus 35 several times. The people gave a free will offering. It was one where they were not required. They did not take pledge cards. They did not say, you need to be able to give this, this, and this, or else you're excommunicated from our community. It was a free will offering. For those of you who are, what is it? Willing. Your heart has been moved. Your will has been convicted. You're willing. Then give. So, what is an offering? What is this free will offering? There's several offerings in Leviticus. We won't go through all five different types, but what it talks about here, Dave Ramsey, who uh, does Financial Peace University, which is a fantastic course if you want to get your money right. Um, he's a well-known Christian money uh, person who gives great wisdom. I was going to say guru, but that's not quite the word I want to go for. But Dave Ramsey says this, anything above the tithe in the scripture is considered an offering. A tithe is off the top, before you do anything. Offerings come from surplus. So looking at the example we saw here, if there was a surplus of ram skins or onyx stones or yarn, it's out of that surplus that you're able to give and say, okay, I want to be able to give this. And then you keep looking, oh, I don't really need that much. I don't really need that much. And when we see things as surplus, then we can stop having a hold of what our stuff and recognize that God has a hold of our hearts. When we look at this, that anything above and beyond that above the tithe is an offering, comes from our surplus. So to paint this picture, throughout me and uh, my wife and I, Steph, throughout our marriage, we've always given 10% of our money to things. In fact, throughout our time, we've given to a child that we've sponsored in Kenya since Shailen was born, so coming up on eight years almost. Uh, we've supported uh, two different former uh, high school students that were in our small group and in our ministry as they were missionaries across the world. 
Uh, we gave them monthly support. We've been able to, um, uh, for a while, gave monthly support to an organization founded by a friend of ours who created a home for those who, uh, for women who had been in human trafficking and were trying to find a way out. And they've created a home and a safe place for them and a way to get the life skills to move forward out of that chain, out of that, um, that hor- horrific lifestyle uh, that they get stuck in. And then we're able to be able to give to all those different things. Those are great things. But if our money got so tight that we had to cut back on our giving, because we give our 10% here to our home church, to Palmerado Christian Church, and all those other things, those are things that are our offerings out of our surplus over and above. If our money got so tight that we were no longer able to, we, we need to make cutbacks, we're not going to cut back from giving to our local church. That's our tithe off the top 10% from the beginning. If we needed to, we would cut back from those other ministries. Now, let me be clear. Praise God, that hasn't had to happen. But it's one of those where those are offerings out of surplus. Those are not our tithes to our local church. So, for example, to give a picture to make it very realistic for us or or current. For example, our Gifts for Jesus project. We're talking about Community Food Connection. That is a free will offering. We're not, again, asking for cards. We're not asking for pledges. We're saying if you've been stirred, your spirit has been moved, here's a great thing that we could give over and above our tithe to our local church. We can give and make sure that that is where the money goes towards to be able to help our, the God's kingdom be built. But that's an offering that isn't part of our tithe. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit because the building was a special moment. A building the tabernacle, here's an offering. The worship at the tabernacle is what would happen all the time. It's when people would present a tenth of their things and that they would be able to make sure that it would go to a storehouse. The storehouse was a place in which orphans were taken care of, widows were taken care of. It's where the Levites were taken care of, which were the priests and um, were able to have what they needed. We see in Malachi 3, 6 through 12, that people were robbing God by taking the tithe out of the storehouse, by not giving the full 10% to the storehouse. So what does this, what does this tithe mean? And what does the storehouse mean for our purposes this morning? Dave Ramsey continues on in our notes or on the screen. He says, the general guideline is that for those of us who are evangelical Christians, our baseline for giving is the tithe, a tenth, the tithe just means the word tenth, a tenth of our income off the top before you do anything, going to the local church. See, our family, we've always given 10% in our marriage, my wife and I, but we didn't always give it when I was younger. We would give a large portion to our church, but it wasn't all of it. Maybe it was six here and two here and one here and one here, whatever it was. But when it comes to this idea of saying, until we realized that the storehouse is where the tithes are to go. And the storehouse is the Old Testament version of the New Testament church, the place where orphans and widows are taken care of, the place in which we're being poured into, the place where worship happens, the place where our community is developed. Then we have this point where it wasn't until we learned about the storehouse principle of giving 10% to our local church, that was when we learned that we were truly tithing off the top before you do anything else to the local church. Let's continue on because this is a little point of contention. 
Here we have an author uh, by the name of Douglas LeBlanc who says it this way. How I donate money expresses power. If I carve my tithe into slices of my own liking, I tighten my grip on power and mammon tightens its grip on me. I'm better aware of the ever-deepening joy found in God's generosity when I surrender control of the first 10% to who or to whom? To the community that welcomes me, a wretched sinner, week after week and challenges me to become something more. Now, let me acknowledge the rather large elephant in the room. I am blessed to be able to be here and do this job. The reason I am blessed and I am humbled and I am honored, well, there's many reasons, but one of them is I know that I'm able to provide for my family out of the generosity of you who are sitting here, that you give your tithes to the church. And that allows me to be able to provide for my family so I can focus on this, which God has called me to do. And I'm so thankful to be here. And so I get that you could say, well, you get paid by the tithes. You're trying to motivate, coerce, push us to say how much we must give in order to make sure your pockets get fuller. Let me be clear. You can look at the budget. The budget doesn't go up based on our weekly giving. I don't get a percentage every week on your, on your offering and then say, oh, let's get a good week. Guys, we're going to Sizzler. No one goes to Sizzler to celebrate. It's just an example. But we don't, this is not how it works. Also, I'm sorry. If you go to Sizzler, I love chocolate frost. Just go for it. Um, But let me be clear. I get the dynamic here of someone who's sharing from God's word, talking about giving. Money is tough for us to process or or to talk about. Talking about giving a tithe to the church, and that person is benefiting from the church's tithes, from your tithes. But let me also be clear. This is something that me... Staff members, we don't take this lightly. I know I feed my kids because you're giving your widow's offering or your, your last pennies or your last dollars. I get that. And we don't spend frivolously or gamble or do anything that would take away from that. Because I'm humbled and I'm honored. But my, my giving doesn't go up based on how our yearly offering goes. It's not I get a percentage off it off the top. I don't get richer if you give more today. So it's not about me getting money, our staff getting money. It's about God getting glory and his ministry and the vision he's called us to, to be able to be equipped to be able to do that. So that people would understand the dwelling place that God wants to dwell with his people and to be able to live with them forever through the person of Jesus who lived a perfect life, died a horrible death, but was raised to new life so that we could have eternal life of knowing him and the father who sent him. That eternal life doesn't happen the day that we die. It happens the moment we recognize who Jesus is. And I don't get paid more based on whether you like my sermon or not. Thankfully. Let me close. God provides enough resources to fulfill his vision. That's a truth. The question is whether we will be inspired enough to respond to the call and own the vision. I did some research um, and through this U.S. census between the years of 2013 and 2017, the median income in San Diego County was 70,588. Immediately once I say that, some of you start putting yourselves in categories, right? You're like, 
okay, I make more than that, or that's about me, or I make under that. Money, the, the amount you make is not the point here. Why? Because it's about equal sacrifice, not about the equal amount. But the idea here is that some of us make more than that, some of us make less than that. But let's just say 70588 is the median account, a median number. Now let's, let's say another thing. Tithing off of that, a 10% of that, would be $7,058.80 that would be given to the local church off of the 10% of that median income. Let's make a guess. I don't know the numbers. Let's make a guess that we have 100 people here at our church who decide to, to give and to tithe. And maybe we give a little bit here, but let's say there's 100 people who, who are tithing. If that's true, and the numbers of $7,058 would be true, then our expected offerings in 2020, when you would go out, grab the budget sheet that we were talking about this morning, our expected number that we'd be able to say as our budget would be $705,800. That we'd be able to have $705,800 to do the ministry God has called us to do. When you go out there and when you look, you'll look and see that our our hopeful income when it comes to offering is $475,000. And that would, that would be a high mark for us. And, and again, this is not a guilt trip. This is to paint the picture. If 705000 I get it. We're not all in the median income. I get that. But quick numbers without me knowing what everyone makes, I can do this math. If 705800 would be the median and we're projecting to 475, what do you think God could do in and through our church with that extra $230,880? I mean, think about the lives that could be changed. Think about the ways that we could bless our community. Think about the many missionaries we currently support we could give more to. Think about the missionaries that we can't support right now that we would be able to start supporting. Think about the ways that we'd be able to bless our city, bless those in need, bless our state, bless our country, bless our world. Think about the ways that we'd be able to do various different things that maybe God would want us to do. And maybe right now it's hard and it's tight, and it's hard and it's tight for all of us to varying degrees when it comes to giving. But what if... What would God want to do if we all own the vision of, yes, the offerings, but also our skills? If we own the vision, what would he do in and through our church to build his kingdom in our lives and his kingdom in the world through us? See, a French poet said this, if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. See, I'm not asking you to build a ship this morning. We're talking about things that we could do, gifts for Jesus. I could say, hey, we need help in order to make sure that people are, are volunteering. Like, okay, well, I'll, let's organize into some groups and we'll talk about how we could serve. Hey, you know what? There's some needs that they have. Let's, let's talk about how we could fulfill some of those financial needs. Okay, well, that'll be great. Let's start looking at the manuals and figuring out how we can make it work. We're not building ships today. We're talking about the vast and endless sea. You know what that vast and endless sea is? It's the sea of faces of people who are far from God, who don't know him. And many of them are drowning in the weight of this world. 
They're broken, they're wounded, they're hurting, they're struggling, they're trying to claw and to make their lives work. But in the end, are they living for something that will last forever? Because we can have the best however many years the Lord gives us on this earth, but no matter how many years he gives us on this earth, they are but a in the face of eternity with him or without him. Now, I took a sign, or took a sign, I took a picture um, when I was driving in Glendora, my previous uh, home years ago, and I want to put that up here, and the first thing I want to let you know about is I felt really good about like the spiritual nugget of wisdom I was bringing. Uh, I put it on Instagram, I had three comments, two of them were like, oh my gosh, you're close to Taco Bell, if you look in the background, I'm like, (laughs) these are my friends, and, um, but here's what I want to say. Those two, one post or one uh, telephone pole, two signs talking about two different dwelling places. One is a home for rent, three beds, a couple bathrooms. We talked about owning our home and how important it was for our family to own a home. This, this is talking about renting a home and just trying to make a, have a dwelling place to live, even if it's just for now. There's a phone number there. Don't call it. But just this idea of that's a dwelling place. That's a, that's a for rent. That's a temporary dwelling place. And what's below it? Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He who was our dwelling place. He came and he tabernacled. He dwelt among us. He came into our lives. And because he went and he said he's going to go and prepare a place for us. So we would dwell in him for eternity. That no matter how long or little or short our lives were here, they're but a in comparison to eternity with him. You and I, we can either live and give towards the for rent of this world, or we could live and we can give towards the forever of eternity with Jesus. We could have a vision of living for my stuff, my way, and the way I want it, all these things right here, right now, which is just as temporary of a lifestyle as a home that's for rent. And there are people in our lives that we know and we love and we care about that are living their lives scratching and clawing in this vast and endless sea who are living just for the now and their lives are only for rent. It's only for a short time that there is a place and there's a Lord and a Savior who wants to make a way for them and wants to build a place for them that they could dwell in forever with him. So we are living in a society, in a world where it's a forensic society, but we must live and give towards a forever vision. Because that's where there's hope, where there's joy, where there's peace. As many of you know, uh, on Friday, a little after 1 p.m., if you receive the email, uh, our beloved Jill Goodham went home to be with the Lord. And um, we're painting the picture of what's, what's the vast and endless sea is that wouldn't it be amazing if there were more people like Jill Goodham who love the Lord and live to glorify him in our world? Wouldn't it be amazing if a vast and endless sea of people who are far from God would know what it's like to be near to him and to live for him? And that we have the opportunity to give that hope that we mourn with Dan and with her family and with his family, and and we are sad about it, but we do not mourn as those who are without hope. We still can be sad. We can, but we have hope. That hope is an anchor for our souls, and it shows us that 
in this world where death, if we don't have a faith in Jesus, it's a for rent where it just feels like, where's the hope? Where is it? And our hope is in the fact that there's a dwelling place, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. That Jill's heart was to glorify God even up until the end when we got to meet with her as elders and she shared that she wasn't afraid, but she wanted to glorify God. And now she's more alive than she's ever been. She's seen the glory, not as a veiled face that Moses had to hide his glory when he met with God in the tabernacle. She's able to see Jesus face to face. There's hope in that. And we can see a sea of faces that are without that presence of God, that glory. And we can say, I'm only going to give reactively when there's a need. There's always a need because there's always someone who is struggling right now. There's always someone who could use hope. And when we own the vision of what God has done in his kingdom and our role in it, then we are hope bringers, joy sharers, life givers. Not because of us, but because God gets the glory and we could see more and more people, more friends, more neighbors, more coworkers, more people that will be able to experience what Jill is able to experience as a Friday afternoon, the joy of a right relationship with God through the ministry and the vision that God would have through our lives and through our church. Now that is a firm foundation upon which we would build our lives upon his love, for that alone is the firm foundation. We'll put our trust in him alone. And even when we grieve and when we're sad and when it's tough, we will not be shaken. Father, we thank you for who you are. We pray for, we pray for Dan. We pray for Jill's family. We pray for Dan's family. We thank you that we, as although we do mourn, and Lord, we know that they're figuring out services. They're gonna, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. We, we know that there's a lot going on. But Lord, we thank you that even though we are still, we mourn, Lord, that there's equal parts hope and joy. And we know your word to be true, that the vision of you being present and dwelling amongst your people is happened in the tabernacle. It was embodied and perfected in Jesus. And it was finished through his work on the cross. And we are invited to own that vision and work diligently for it and give generously towards it so that more people would come to know you as Jill knows you now, face to face with unveiled faces, being able to know the hope that we have in you is real. May we build our lives upon the foundation of you, Jesus, the only foundation upon which we can build our lives truly to have it withstand our trials. We build it upon you. May we not be shaken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.